Church, my name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am genuinely thrilled to have you with us today. I want to say hello to those of you joining us in our online campus. Uh, in fact, uh, go ahead and put your favorite emoji in the chat so we know that you're here. Uh, and then also, if uh, you are a parent who prefers to keep your young children with you during the service, we've got great uh, parent viewing rooms. I want to say hello to those of you in there. That's a great option for you as well. Uh, a couple of quick things before we jump into the talk this morning. Uh, first is uh, we just recognized over the last uh, few months, we've been seeing so many new faces, uh, so many people returning uh, after the pandemic and all kinds of uh, just growth that we've seen over the last few months. And we're recognizing the services have been getting pretty full. Sometimes you walk in, it's hard to find a seat. The parking lot is full. These are all really good problems to have. And so um, before uh, uh, March 2020 hit and everything went haywire, uh, we were running three services. And I want to let you know that we are planning to go back to three services uh, in the fall. So here's what that looks like. And here's why I'm telling you this. Uh, we're going to be sending out a massive mailer to our community. When you look around our community, they are building houses like crazy. Houses, apartment buildings. I mean, there's so many people moving to this area. And it's such an opportunity for us as a church to invite people to come and participate uh, with our church family. And so we want to make sure that we have uh, enough seats at optimal times so that when you invite someone, they actually have somewhere to go. And so uh, we're anticipating what it's going to look like in the fall. Now, you're like, well, why don't we do that now? Well, because it's summer and you're all going to be at your cabin for the next three months. Okay? So I know how this goes. So uh, see, I'm on to you. So here's the deal. Uh, we're going to launch this in the fall. And uh, where we're going to need probably the biggest help to really pull this off is in our kids' areas. Because what that means is we will now have to staff uh, seven or eight more rooms for, uh, for each of those age groups with multiple adults for that third service. So that's a huge task. And so I'm just letting you know now. Uh, I know that you're going to be like, man, as soon as the, the fall hits, where do I sign, right? I know. Uh, so here's the deal. I want to just drop this in. I want to put it on your radar because you're going to hear more about this in the coming months through the summer. We're going to strategically plan the times. Uh, we're going to make sure that we have optimal seats uh, at all of our services and, uh, and, and enough parking for everybody to show up. But that just means that uh, when we start dripping this throughout the summer and we start making pleas, uh, uh, man, I, I would love for you to consider joining a kid's team. And here's what that means. That means uh, twice a month. Twice a month that you would attend one service and that you would serve at one service. And that, that just means, hey, uh, twice a month, I'm going to, instead of uh, being there for one of the services, I'm going to be there for two of them. It's a sacrifice of your time. It's a sacrifice of your effort. But it is worth it to make sure that families here uh, have an opportunity to come and experience the love and grace of Jesus for the first time. And so uh, I don't want you to consider that as we move to the fall. And I want to let you know that that's a great time to continue. You can always invite friends, but man, we're really gearing up to make sure that when you invite your friends, they have a place to come. So that's taking place this fall. The other thing, and I know uh, Chandler touched on it in the video, is that um, maybe you've kind of wondered, like, why is it that they put a tub on the stage and one adult dunks another adult and then everyone celebrates that? What's going on? So here's what that is. Uh, if you're not familiar with water baptism or maybe the way that we do water baptism, uh, that just means this. It's a sim symbolic way of us reminding ourselves that because of Jesus, we've been made new. So it's not a graduation ceremony. Nobody comes up out of the water and, you know, gets a Jesus Junior diploma. Uh, it just means that the old me is buried. Uh, the, just like Jesus was buried and overcame death, the old me is buried, put to death. And then just as Jesus was raised from the dead, I rise to new life because of him. And it means that moving forward, my trust is in Jesus, that the, I know that the only way that I can continue to move forward in my life and be new is because of Jesus. 
That's all that means. And so we celebrate that. It's a symbolic way to celebrate that together. And uh, we're doing that at our worship night, which is a week from today in the evening, 6.30 next Sunday. Love for you to come and participate with that. If you have people from your group that you're a part of that are getting baptized, show up and cheer them on. Uh, And uh, if you were baptized as an infant, that's awesome. That's a decision that your parents made for you. I would encourage you to confirm that decision by getting baptized as an adult now that you're following Jesus. So that's all next Sunday. All right. We're in week four of this series called Creed. We're going to wrap this up next Sunday morning. But this has been just a fun series for us. And I was thinking about this this week. While there are billions of unique people all around the world, there are certain things that sort of cross individuality and really bind us together. And music is one of those things. And so a couple of weeks ago, we do this once a year. My wife and I will get together with about uh, nine or 10 other uh, pastors and their spouses. And uh, once a year, we all come together. And we spend about three or four days learning from each other and encouraging each other. And uh, we did that a couple of weeks ago. We were in Destin, Florida. And uh, while we were there, uh, it was a Tuesday night in Destin, Florida. And let me tell you, if you have been wondering where the party scene is at, it is a Tuesday in Destin, OK? I'm just telling you. We went to a place. We were like, all right, we're just going to go get some dinner somewhere. And we ended up this place. It said uh, convenience store slash taquerio. So and that was no lie. You walked in, and half of it was a convenience store where you could just buy regular gas station items, uh, including a, you know, a candle. Uh, that's a long story. And then a buffet this way, and over here, like a cafeteria. And it was a Mexican restaurant. And so we were like, all right, we walked in. There's nobody there. There's like two people at one table. Our group is 15 people. So we took over. Inside of this restaurant, on a Tuesday night, we look up, and there's a massive light rack with strobe lights, a disco ball. I mean, it was unbelievable. A full wall of TV screens and a DJ in the corner pumping music. Tuesday night in Destin, two people there, and they were partying. I felt like we crashed somebody's reception. I was like, what's going on? Is there a wedding about to take place? What's happening here? And so uh, immediately, we sit down, and he starts bumping YMCA. You know, YMCA. None of us reacted. And so then he's like, "Okay, okay, too too old. Uh, He started playing um, Ice, Ice, Baby, ding, 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 right? And all of a sudden, we were partying, and the lights went on. And he was like, OK, OK, I found my sweet spot, right? So he started playing some MC Hammer. And he's like, yes, this is my crowd. Apparently, mid-40s pastors, they respond to 90s rap. That's where it's at. It was unbelievable. And so we're in there partying. I mean, this place would have been dead without us. We're a group of 15, and uh, it was just unbelievable. And uh, probably my favorite part is when we were leaving the restaurant, and it's kind of getting dark outside, so you can see in, and the lights are on. And there was one lady in there, probably in her early 60s, and she's just dancing away. And the, and the lights are going, and you can hear the music pounding just by herself, just dancing on a Tuesday in Destin. Man, it was amazing. And so I'm just telling you. Music has a way of bringing people together. And they have discovered that in Destin. And here's what's awesome. The Apostles' Creed was written for a very specific reason. It is a summary statement, uh, meaning it does a great job of summarizing the good news of the message of Jesus in a few short sentences. And it's meant to bring unity. It's meant to bring us together, much like music. uh, This Apostles' Creed gives us unity around these things that we profess to believe. And so it provides sound doctrine and essential theology to the masses, especially in the first century, who many were illiterate. They weren't, uh, they weren't stupid. They just didn't know how to read. 
And so they would memorize this creed. It would help them to understand what was actually in the scripture and what the message of Jesus was actually all about. And so this document is just a beautiful summary of the message of the good news of Jesus. And we've been reading it each week. I'm going to read it again uh, today, the Apostles' Creed. It goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So how should we respond to this creed? In the early days, it was used to unite people. And sometimes what happens in modern society is we use things like this to debate each other. Well, the early church recognized this wasn't just a statement of beliefs. This was actually something that informed their daily lives. It, it, it informed their behavior. It informed the way that they were meant to live. And the way that we say that today here at Westbridge is, if you can't use it on Monday, we shouldn't say it on Sunday. Like, the goal of coming in here is not to just come in and get some information. The goal is that you would actually go, how do I take what I'm learning and actually apply it to my life so that I can become more like Jesus? And so uh, when we read this, we can know this is for us. When we read the Apostles' Creed, Jesus came, he suffered, he died, he's coming again. We can know that isn't just uh, some information. He's coming for me. He's coming for you. It, it reminds me of this uh, incredible uh, documentary called Elf. And um, <laughs> so many good... Uh, things to learn there. And when uh, Elf is in the department store and they say, hey, tomorrow they make the announcement, Santa's coming. And, and of course, what happens? He gets all excited. He goes, oh, oh my gosh, Santa, Santa, I know him. And it's interesting because when we read the Apostles' Creed, we can read it like that. Jesus came for you and me. He's coming back again for you and me. Jesus is coming. Oh, I know him. He's coming for me. He's coming for you. This isn't just a, a statement that's sort of out there, information. This is something that can actually give us life and inform the way that we live. And the early church had a word that they used to encourage each other, Maranatha. It simply meant, Lord, come quickly, or the Lord comes. And uh, the church would encourage each other with these words. They wouldn't debate each other with these words. And the creed also kept the church out of the cult ditch. Uh, you know, it gave people enough of a foundation that they could easily recognize because as the message of Jesus grew and spread, so did a lot of false teachings and false ideas and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, sort of religious background from other uh, forms of worship that sort of bled their way into this story of Jesus. And so if you were trying to follow Jesus and, and decipher, okay, what, what is true and what isn't, the Apostles' Creed gave you a great foundation upon which to build. You'd say, well, that doesn't really match up with the creed that I've memorized, and you couldn't just go and start your own religion. And so I came across an app this week called Messiahs. I thought it was pretty interesting. Create your own religion, and you can slowly convert the whole world. It's a gaming app where you are the Messiah. And I thought to myself, man, we don't even need an app. We've been creating our own religion for hundreds of years. So anyways, I bought the app. Now, here's what's amazing. So far in this series, we've been seeing the progressive work of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And if you missed any of those weeks, I'd encourage you to go back, check them out online. But uh, these first three weeks have given us a vertical understanding of a relationship with a triune God. 
I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And it's this vertical relationship. And now today, we're going to look at a few more lines. We're going to turn to the horizontal implication of this vertical relationship. And then we're going to look at these next few lines of the creed uh, that go like this. I believe in the holy universal church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. And so here's what I believe in, the holy universal church. Here's what you need to know. The universal church is a people. The universal church is a people. See, the church of Jesus is all of Jesus' followers from the very first Easter until the present day and beyond. It's, it's every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language, and ever-expanding family. And sometimes people ask, like, like, why does the church have to get so big? You know, three services, oh, so much. Like, why does it have to keep getting so big? Well, if you don't want the church to get big, I got news for you. You're not going to like heaven. And if you don't like diversity, you're not going to like heaven. It's every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue, because that is what the church is. In fact, here's what Jesus' explanation, Jesus said this about the church in his own words. In Matthew 16, he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to them about this idea that that, uh, he is the son of God come in the flesh, that he's the living son of God. And he says this in verse 18, I will build my church and not even death will ever be able to overcome it. Now, here's what you need to know. When Jesus said that, the word that he actually uses there is a Greek word, ekklesia. And what it means is a a gathering or an assembly. It's used often throughout the New Testament authors. And Jesus said, basically, this is what he was saying. I'm going to build a gathering of people. I'm going to build a people. I'm going to build a a gathering or an assembly. I'm going to build a people around this idea of the message of the good news of Jesus. Now, here's what it is really fascinating, somewhere along the way, a few hundred years later, in an attempt to uh, control the masses who didn't have access to the scriptures, this word, when it was getting translated, uh, they borrowed a German word, the German word Kirch, which is where we get our English word church. And the German word for Kirch actually means sacred building or holy place. And so you can see how this radically shifted the message of Jesus to, hey, I'm going to build these sacred places, these holy buildings. And it wasn't about a people. It was about this centrally located place where you could come, and and that was the sacred space where you had to come to to meet with God. And it drastically shifted the message of Jesus. That's why when we built this building, we told our architect, look, nothing fancy here, all right? You get 90-degree angles, and that's it. I don't want to see no curves on this place, all right? Uh, That costs money. Build us a box. And that's what he did. Why? Because the church isn't this. The church is you and me. We are the church. It's not about a sacred building or a holy place. It is about you and me. We are the people, the ecclesia, not not the church, not the church, right? The church is you and me. Jesus said, I'm going to build a people around this idea. And so the word church is not a sacred place or a building. It's a group of people united around the good news of the message of Jesus, which means you can shut down a building during a pandemic, but you can never close the church. Because the church is you and me. The church is not something we attend. It is who we are. I love uh, this uh, quote from a guy named Kevin Van Hooser. He says this, because God is three persons in relationship, the only way we can realize the imago Dei or the image of God in humanity is to form a community of persons in loving relationship. The church, 
The church, then, is the community of God, not only because it has been created by the triune God, but because the church shares in the triune community itself. God is three persons in loving community, which means the only way that we can express the image of God in us is to live and form persons in loving community. That's called the church. And humans are made in the image of God, and we're more valuable in the creative order. We just know this intuitively. We know that we're the most valuable part of God's creation because if I have two kids and two cats and I can't afford them, guess what? I keep the kids. Like I'm not sitting around wondering, do I hold on to Billy or Mittens? Right? And we just know that. My kids are more valuable than my pets. It's a no-brainer. We have a family relationship with the triune God. The universal church exists in relationship with God and with one another. So the church is not building. It's not a sacred space. It's not a sacred, holy place. It is a people. It is you and me. We are the church, which leads us to the next part. Number two, the universal church is relational. Because it's a people, it's highly relational. God exists in relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are created to be in relationship with God and with one another. And God's intention is to have a people uh, in right relationship with him. And since this triune God exists in relationship, it's woven into the fabric of who we are as well. Here's how Jesus sort of distilled this down for us. He was being pressed one day and asked, what's the most important commandment? And here's how Jesus responds. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. He says, this is the vertical part. You, you love God with everything you have. Put your trust in him. Follow him. But then he says this, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Jesus says, look, if all you have is the vertical and it doesn't have any sort of horizontal implications, then you've missed it. The way that you show your love for God is by how well you love the people that he's put into your life. In Luke chapter 10, uh, Luke actually records for us that Jesus was asked, uh, well, okay, you know, a guy was kind of looking for a loophole and he goes, all right, well, who's my neighbor? I mean, what does that mean exactly, Jesus? And Jesus tells this story called the Good Samaritan where someone is beaten and robbed and left for dead, but somebody who is a total stranger to them sees them, goes out of their way to take care of them and put them up in a hotel and nurse them back to health. And Jesus goes, that's, that's what it means to be a neighbor. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes, yes. <laughs> well, is it my actual neighbor? Yes. Well, okay, but is it like my coworker? Yes. But is it like the disenfranchised? Yes. Is it the lonely? Yes. Is it the immigrant? Yes. Is it the person that I don't really see eye to eye with? Yes. Jesus just says, yes, 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 all of those. The purpose for which you and I were created, the reason you and I draw breath is to live in and maintain loving relationship with God and with one another. That's why we exist. And our modern culture wars against this, doesn't it? See, we are pressured to be against the other. When people don't see the way that we see things, we're to be afraid of the other, worried that our state of life will somehow be infringed upon if, if we don't keep the other at a distance. I was listening to a podcast this week, and the guy that was being interviewed said, uh, man, we do such a, a, an incredible job of this because here's the phrase that you hear a lot in our culture. Well, if they would just dot, 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 right? Fill in the blank. And he said, any time you catch yourself saying, if they would just, he said, that's probably a pretty good indication that you're the problem. 
Because what we've done is we go, well, if they, it's the other, it's the other, it's the other, and I keep them at arm's distance. And if they would just, then everything would be fine. Then I wouldn't have to worry. Then, you know, my state of life wouldn't be infringed on. If they would just... And he just said, you know what? Life is more nuanced and layered and complicated than that than boiling it down to one thing that if they would just, then I would be fine. He said, that's probably usually a pretty good indicator that there's something that you need to work on. And the truth is, that causes us to be isolated. We know a ton of people, and we know none of them really, really well. But God desires that you would be in right relationship with him and deeply connected to one another that we would be connected with each other. You want to fulfill the purpose for which you were created, the reason you exist? Love God and love people. The vertical is I love God, but the horizontal implication of that is the way I show my love for God is how well I love the people he's put in my life. Now, here's the third part. The universal church is eternal. The universal church is eternal. The church of Jesus, the gathering of people from all over the world is the only thing that Jesus ever promised to build. If you read through his life and teachings and everything that he taught and everything that he said, Jesus said, this is the one thing that I promise I'm going to build. God's plan for uniting people in relationship with himself is the church. It's you and me. We are plan A. There is no plan B. Frankly, I question God's judgment. But here's the reality. God's plan for bringing people into right relationship with himself is you and me. In all of our messiness and all of our flaws and all of our brokenness, once we were not a people... And now we are his people. There is an incredible description of the universal church that's written by the Apostle John. And it's this vision that he has. It's called Revelation. Here's what he describes. He says, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Now, here's what that means. See, in their first century, the way that they would atone for their sins was they would bring a lamb and offer it as a sacrifice. And the idea was I could offer this sacrifice, and then I could walk away from that altar, and I'd know I'm good with God. My sins have been forgiven. But when Jesus came into the world and when Jesus died, the idea was that he would replace that sacrificial system. He's the final sacrifice. And so oftentimes he is referred to as the lamb, the final lamb, the final sacrifice for you and me. And the eternal view of the church, this this idea that the church is this universal, that the church is this global thing, that, that the church is eternal, it should really stunt any arrogance, any swagger that we have about our local church, about us doing anything that is outside of the church universal. Because here's the reality. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves, even as a local church. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely love Westbridge Church. I love it. But we are not in competition with any other church. We will never talk poorly about another church or disparage another church, any church that is preaching the message of Jesus, whether we agree with you know, all the things that they do, whether or not we like their style or not, we're all part of this universal church. We're part of something bigger than ourselves. That's why I love when we have the opportunity to partner with all that God is doing around the world through other expressions of this eternal universal church. Because it's not just Westbridge. We're just one local expression of the greater universal church of Jesus. And not only do we get to partner with Venture through things like Run for Her and Fathers for the Fatherless, 
We get to do it through so many ways. Uh, uh, I went to cheer on the runners yesterday at Run For Her, and I pulled into the wrong parking lot. And so uh, they were all over at the playground, and I went to the right, and I was sitting in the parking lot about 7.40 in the morning in my car by myself, waiting for the runners. Felt really awkward. And uh, there happened to be another trail there where other women who weren't a part of our group pulled up, and they got out of their car to go for a run, only to see a middle-aged man in his car at 7.40 in the morning on a Saturday. And I'm telling you, it was the most awkward thing in my life. <laughs> One of them made eye contact with me, and I was like, oh, I'm out of here. Like, this is not good. I texted Eli. I'm like, dude, where are you? I'm in the wrong spot. He's like, we're over by the playground. And I was like, uh, put it in drive. I'm like, I'm out of here. I think I was this close to being arrested. But uh, I love that we get to partner with uh, you know, Venture and what they're doing around the world through Run For Her, through this summer, Fathers for the Fatherless. Uh, last uh, a couple of months ago, or, or we got to, uh, because of your generosity, give to one of our global partners and uh, give to them so that they could buy a truck to send water in the Dominican Republic. Uh, last year, we were able to send a team down to Dominican Republic, and uh, I want you to check out one of their stories. Watch this video. Just say name, maybe, and just name, and we went on the... Serial number, everything. <laughs> How many nicknames do you have? <laughs> my name is Gwen Robertson, and my husband Grant and I have been going to Westbridge for about two years. Uh, we've participated in some different groups and then most recently uh, went on this uh, missions trip to the Dominican Republic to support the Ramos Vivas mission. Grant expressed some interest in doing some international missions and I, I had done some uh, missions trips just within the United States in high school and it had been a really long time. When we were preparing for this trip and even when we first arrived there, we were planning on helping out Ramos Vivas at the water treatment facility, doing a lot of manual labor. I thought it was going to be swinging hammers and uh, painting buildings. I ended up doing things like playing jump rope with some kids. I actually got fired after a while and they were not too impressed with me. I got to, for probably 20 minutes straight, kneel down and uh, give everybody um, filled up water jug or water cups of juice just over just hundreds again and again and again and again. It was a lot of fun to to go and help serve. I was on a, a water delivery. I was with Grant, um, one of our interpreters. His name is Nene. Nene was asking Grant and I how people in the United States got their water. And that one really hit home to me. Um, and, and, and Nene is uh, 26, 27 years old, sharp guy, very educated guy for the country, and, and asking the question how, how we get our water. We saw the community that he grew up in, um, and, and so he has really been very successful as an individual and growing up in a community that did not have a lot of resources, going through the Ramos Vimas um, mission and becoming a leader, getting his accounting degree. Uh, but he, he legitimately asked us that question around where, how do people in the United States get, get their water? Uh, and it, it took me aback as we explained it. Um, 
you could tell, like, just the look on his face, he was really thinking about every house has running water. It, it is water that is safe to drink. And as soon as we said that, he just looked down and you could tell that he was just thinking about that. Like, is, it, is that even possible? Definitely an eye-opening thing for us that it's something that we definitely take for granted from that standpoint. That is what the Ramos Vivas um, water treatment facility, Agua Ramos Vivas, is, is doing is really helping to provide that you know, essential water to people in the community. I think it is important to support global missions like Ramos Vivas because it allows us to help others around around the globe that are in different situations, um, have different different needs and needs that may not be met. So I would tell someone who's even remotely thinking about going on a trip to just sign up and go. And honestly, don't really think about it too much and just say that this is something that if, if, if it's even remotely in your mind, just don't really think about it too much. Just make the decision and say that that's what you're going to do. And I think for us, it was a few logistical things that we had to figure out, but we just made that decision that that's what we wanted to go and do. And I know that Mike and Carrie had gone down to the Dominican and really it's Mike's testimony that helped me to think about, yeah, that is something that I want to do. And he talked a little bit about how it's not necessarily you going and you feel like you're going to make all these changes for other people's lives and it ends up being something where it changes you more than anything. I would just encourage you to not think of all the different things that you have to do to, to go on a trip, but just make that decision. You'll figure it out. No other way. <laughs> The little tricked out ATV with a big flatbed on the back that they were delivering water in. But now, uh, through partnership with Westbridge Church and a couple other churches, they've been able to purchase a truck and uh, be able to take that water out. And this team uh, has another trip scheduled for February 2023. So if you're interested in that, uh, right on your outline, there's a QR code. You can just scan that. Doesn't sign you up for the trip, doesn't mean you're committed to going. But if you're even interested, and you just want to learn more, scan that QR code, and uh, you can just enter your name, email, phone number, and we'll have somebody get in touch with you and give you all the details for that trip. The church is bigger than just us. It's this universal, eternal thing. Here's the next part of the creed. I believe in the communion of the saints. That's because the universal church, for as big as it is, is also local. The universal church is local. The I and me become us and we, and we are in this thing together. There's a quote from David Benner. Uh, he writes this, when I live with me as the basic reference point for life, I experience a fundamental existential alienation. Not only am I alienated from others, but paradoxically, I am alienated from my deepest self. For my deepest and truest self is not an isolated self, but finds its meaning and fulfillment only in the we of community. Since we are created in the image of God and God exists in relationship, we cannot escape that we were created for relationship. And the local church is that place where our lives intersect for the better. And we mesh together and we help each other move and grow. And I have always will, and uh, I always will uh, advocate for belonging to a local church. Now, that's not the same as attending a local church, right? A attending a church is what you do uh, while deciding where to belong. And at some point, you have to stop attending and start belonging. It's not about just going somewhere. It's about participating and being a part of. It's kind of like the couple that have been dating, right? And they're just not sure they're ready to commit yet. It's been 15 years. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, at some point, you got to put a ring on it, right? And so here's the deal. 
when it comes to the church, at some point you have to move towards actually belonging and not just attending, not just showing up and getting some information, but actually saying, no, I'm a part of the church. It's not something I attend. It's something I am a part of. And here's the problem with that. No matter which local church you pick, there's going to be someone who bugs you. You're like, no, this church is it's perfect here. I'm so sorry for you. That is so not true. You need to know Westbridge is not the perfect church. And if you were looking for the perfect church, this ain't it. Okay, keep looking. And if you find it, don't join it. You'll screw it up. <laughs> That's just a fact. All of us are in process together, working together to help each other as we're transformed by God's spirit to become all that he's created us to be. And that's why we do groups. That's why we have serving teams. We're constantly encouraging you, jump into a group, jump onto a serving team, join a group. Everybody serves somewhere. Why? Because all of us face these moments in our lives that we call need to know and need to grow moments. A need to know moment is this. There is something that I need to know that I don't know, and I need to know it. And I need somebody who I'm in relationship with that I can ask to get the information that I need to know that I can move forward in my walk with Jesus. Then we face something called need to grow moments. And a need to grow moment is this. There's nothing I need to know. I know everything that I should do. I just don't want to do it. And in that case, we need someone who loves us, who knows us enough to say, hey, you and I both know this is the right thing to do. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Come on, you got this. I got your back. I'm going to push, pull, drag, whatever. But together, we're going to move forward. That's a need to grow moment. And the way that we do that, that's why we want you joining a group, joining a serving team, because you are brushing shoulders with messy people. And it is raw, and there's, sometimes there's friction. But in that, we learn how to love each other well, and we actually help move each other forward. There are 59 different times throughout the New Testament scriptures where the authors command us to one another. In fact, here's just a few of them. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, be patient with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, build trust with one another. That's a lot of one anothering. And in order to build trust with one another, then you have to be close enough that you may actually have trust betrayed, which means you may have to work through the pain of when one anothering didn't work out so well for you in the past. That means this is how we live in community together, that we extend forgiveness to one another. The same forgiveness that has been extended to me, I extend to those that I'm walking through life with. And that's the difference between attending and belonging. In order to love and be devoted to and be patient with and submit to and honor and encourage, you must intentionally make an investment in the lives of one another to really know each other. And I'm not talking about a Facebook-level investment in knowing, right? Like, I'm, I'm not dogging Facebook. Okay? It's a beautiful tool of life-sucking, time-killing, insecurity-promoting interaction, okay? But one of Jesus' final prayers for his disciples was that the world would see the love of God and the unity that we display with one another. That we would have such unity together, not uniformity, not they all see the world the same way and, and they all dress the same and look the same and talk the same. That's, that's uniformity. But unity, meaning we love each other so well even when we don't see eye to eye on certain things. Meaning like, like there's one thing that we have in common, the forgiveness of Jesus. And so here's what the, uh, Jesus prays for his disciples 
on uh, his last time being with them. He says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you and me. Jesus is actually praying for any in the future who will put their trust in Jesus. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Jesus says this is how their lives are going to make an impact on the world around them, is when they live with such love and unity with each other, even when they don't see eye to eye. Communion of the saints can only happen where there is a depth of one anothering. And the local church is the space where we work out the one another's. That's what it looks like. It's as we work together in our live out our faith and community that our broader community is impacted by this message of Jesus, by his love and his grace. That's why we do groups. That's why we ask you to serve somewhere, because as we serve together, the message of Jesus impacts our broader community. And we get to rub shoulders with other people, other imperfect and flawed and broken people. And we're moving together in the same direction spiritually. And over the years, I've had different people come up to me and say, man, I'm just... I'm so disappointed with the church because we've done something that, you know, didn't line up well. And usually when somebody says that to me, I'm just disappointed with the church. My, my standard answer is like, oh, man, me too. It's worse than you think. Like, you have no idea. I mean, man, there's always going to be messy stuff, right? I mean, these, these people, I'm telling you, I'm disappointed too. They're lazy and they're proud and they're inconsiderate. And that's just the pastor. It's unreal. But there's always going to be messy stuff because you're here and I'm here and we're all in process, becoming all that God's created us to be. But the church is local. We have to lean into the messiness, lean into the friction, and we help move each other forward, which is why this last uh, statement that we're going to read today from the Creed is so powerful. I believe in the forgiveness of sins because the universal church is in process. The universal church is in process. In fact, it is the only thing that we have in common as followers of Jesus is forgiveness. We're all in process, every last one of us. Nobody has arrived, right? We're not part of the church because of anything we've accomplished. We're part of the church because of common forgiveness, because we've all received the same thing from Jesus. And because of that, we're able to extend grace to one another and grace to the world around us. Here's the way the Apostle Paul writes it in Ephesians. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. Make every effort, he says, to keep yourselves united. That means that you don't have to, it's not something you try to attain. It's something that comes to you from God's spirit. And you just have to maintain it. You're not trying to attain it. You maintain it. It's peace that comes from God because you all have one thing in common. And you may have nothing else in common, but this one thing that you have in common is that you've been forgiven and I've been forgiven. And he says, make, it, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Not that nobody has any faults. He says, no, but because I've been forgiven, I get to extend that forgiveness to you. And because you've been forgiven, you get to extend that forgiveness to me. And we make allowance, we make room for each other's faults because we recognize we've been forgiven, we've been restored, so we can do that for each other. And when two people experience the same grace and forgiveness of Jesus, they are becoming friends no matter who they used to be. It allows you to be friends with people who you never would have had a desire to befriend in the past. And when I think about the friendships that I've made over the last uh, you know, 16 years being a part of this church, friends with people that we would have had nothing in common except for they're forgiven and I'm forgiven. And the impact that they've made on my life 
I'm so grateful that we don't strive for uniformity, but it's about unity. And here's the deal. You get into a community of people, and sometimes you get this romanticized idea about what community truly is, and right, we're all going to sit in a circle and sing kumbaya and share you know, two halves of a heart best friend bracelet, and it's going to be amazing. And then you join a small group, and you join a serving team, and somebody just rubs you the wrong way, you know, and their personality is a little bit too chirpy for you, and uh, somebody else is just a little bit too rough around the edges, a little bit too aggressive, somebody's a little too sensitive, uh, somebody talks too much, somebody doesn't talk enough, you don't agree with their political ideology, you don't agree with their theology. But Jesus' community doesn't mean that you get to be with people who are easy to be with. Jesus' community means you get to be with people who have been forgiven by Jesus just like you have, and together you're helping each other learn how to become everything God's created you to be. That's what it means. Sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's raw. But you lean into that. We make allowance for each other's faults because of our love. I believe in the Holy Universal Church. I sincerely believe that the church of Jesus is the hope of the world. I believe that when the church operates the way that the church is designed to operate, there is no greater force for hope on the planet. I've never been more excited about the future of the church. Universal, I've never been more excited about the, the future of Westbridge Church. And so I, I love this last quote. Jesus healed the one who arrested him. He served the one who betrayed him, and he loved the world who crucified him. Let's be that church. Let's remember that we're created in the image of God. We're designed to live in loving community with God and with one another. And as a result of that, uh, the more that I love God, the more it should flesh its way out to me loving the people around me. And when we do that, let's remember that even though we miss the mark, we're forgiven by God because he sent Jesus into this world. And let's allow that realization to move us, to get involved, not simply to attend church, but to be the church and make a difference in our community. And if you've never said yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, you need to know God sent Jesus into this world for you. When you read the creed and it says Jesus came and he suffered and he died and he's coming again, he's coming for you when you put your trust in him. He's invited you, but he won't force his way. So the invitation is to you. And if you'd like to say yes to the invitation to be a part of God's family, just agree with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for those times that I have walked away from you. Thank you that you never walk away from me. You never stop pursuing me. And I pray, God, that uh, I want to say yes to this invitation. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And help me to do my best to trust you and to follow you with the way that I live my life from this moment on. And God, for every one of us who are following you, may we not just attend the church, but may we be the church. May we lean into the friction of community, the communion of saints. May we one another, one another well, in spite of all of our messiness and all of our flaws and all of our brokenness. And as we continue to strive for unity in this mission, may that send a message to our community about the love and grace of Jesus. We love you. We commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen.